Everyone, hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with Janet Varney. She is the host of the JV Club podcast. She's an actress. She is a voiceover artist. Um, and she is one of the co-founders of Sketchfest. And she's a repeat guest. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm going to put you on blast for a second. Okay. Um, and I hope that's okay. Sketchfest is coming up. Yes. And you were just showing me that things are kind of going nuts on your phone in terms yeah. of all the planning for Sketchfest. And there's yeah. like all these emails coming in. Yeah. I'm wondering, does that stress you out? Because that would stress me out. Allison, let me tell you a little story about at 3 p.m., right before I was supposed to get here, you know, it, obviously I had a little bit of time, but not much. Not enough time for me to okay the software reinstall of the OSX uh, <laughs> operating system, my phone, which then froze. Oh, no. Crashed my phone. I had to restore to factory settings. I'm still figuring out, like, how to get my iCloud stuff synced back up, but apparently... I'm one of those people that was like, eh, I have iCloud. It's backing up all the time. And of course, I wasn't backing up like the phone in terms of what apps I have and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no. So just in the t- like up until 3.30 p.m., I was staring at like, <laughs> right. come on, get as synced as you can. Um, so I had that happen uh, in the midst of all this other stuff that's going on. I'm surprised so you're I had even to, here. I'm a little frazzled and... I burned myself with a curling iron when I was getting ready to do at midnight a couple of days ago. It is a third degree burn. Yeah, I have like a you have a band aid on not, your neck. I don't. I think it's that awkward place between a fresh burn and a scab, so it's just like oozy. And I have a band aid on it on my neck. I'm glad you brought it up because I was wondering what happened, but then I felt it's weird. There's certain it hurt certain spots where people have band aids. You don't feel like it's okay I know. To ask. I didn't want you to, you know, because what if I was like, I just got bit by a dog, please. A very small dog with <laughs> a tiny, tiny, tiny it's dog. A, it's one of the smallest band aids you can have. Caught a ton of air jumping <laughs> up. Um, but I have a question though. Uh, but at midnight, they do your hair. Did you do your hair yourself? You know what? Here's you- the thing. I don't like to waste time getting my hair done and my makeup done while I'm there. I like to work on the funny. Will I ever be on it again after calling it the funny? Probably not. <laughs> well, is there a way for them to er- erase me from the archives? Probably. <laughs> but I just, that I do like aired. to spend, that's right. What happened? To, um, yeah, well, I, I, when I get there, it stresses me out too much to sit in the chair right. while they're like, yes, let's talk about what the packet's going to be. In- Somehow they're doing that show. Somehow you get there and you're like, there's not going to be enough time. I don't yeah. feel like men don't have that. The men are like, I would like this kind of sandwich. <laughs> I've never taken advantage. Like, because right. they're always like, can I get you any food? I've never taken advantage yeah. of it. But I feel like you could be very specific and they'd be like, I will find that for you. Right. And the men I know do that. Whereas the women are doing hair and makeup and also trying to prepare. Yeah. So you do so it I yourself. I like to take then. the hair and makeup out of the picture and just go in for final touches. Now, I usually, I have straight hair. So I usually just like, blow dry it I don't mm. have to do much to it it's straight they give it a little shine when I get there <sighs> for some reason I was like you know what 
curl my hair. Terrible mistake. Terrible mistake. And I had just done a show with uh, my fr- my friend in the universe's Busy Phillips, who says she burns herself every time she uses a curling iron. And I said, well, that's why I don't ever curl my hair because I'm very clumsy and I go off into la la land and I can't, I can't be trusted. And sure enough, like this is a severe burn to the point where you would think that I had just huh, like daydreamed and just let it sizzle. Right. Just re- sizzle rested on my, it. Yeah. On your neck. And then smelled something and taken it away. Like that's how, I don't know how it could have happened in such a short period of time. Because the curling irons are really they're hot. They're really hot. Listen, they're a lot hotter these days than they were <laughs> when I was curling my hair as a child. Wait, now do you have one of the curling irons, the salon type that doesn't have the little rubber tip on the end? I have the kind that you, it's like the spiral kind. I mean, oh. I have, listen, I got all, all of them. Yeah, well, all of them. I have the spiral one. I have the one that's more like the conventional one with the clamp. Right. That's it. I have a crimping iron. Oh, this also, is a but, wand. Uh, it's a wand. Where you wrap your so, hair yeah, around so it. So that's Jeff, you really know. asking for trouble because those things get so hot and you're also sort of maneuvering. It comes with a glove. Right. I've heard about that. that. No one uses. Right. No one's going to use that glove. I don't think that glove would have protected. I mean, I wasn't wearing a glove on my neck. Right. So maybe I should start marketing a net glove. Yeah, some kind a burn of burn pad for curling when you're... turtleneck. Yeah. Did this affect your at midnight performance? This is gaping wound. I'll tell you, you what. Had. It was so fresh. It was. Uh, it hadn't done anything yet. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Yes. Somehow it was the next day that I had even forgotten that it happened. And the next day, I sort of like you know, absentmindedly scratched my neck and was like, "Oh God, dear God, what's happening to me? I have leprosy." So I don't have leprosy. Good. But that is what the Band-Aid is. It's a band. It's so gross. And also, here's what my fear is, is that I'm going to be doing something and I won't realize I'll be out in the world, in mm-hmm. the general public. I don't know if I've left the house since this happened. <laughs> Welcome. And I'm afraid, thank you, only you, <laughs> only for you. I, I'm afraid that my Band-Aid will flutter off. How gross. Without me knowing and then I'll be one of those Band-Aid people. Where you see a Band-Aid and you're like, oh God, people, how could that happen? Oh. Who would... That's a that's gross. Right, and it'll would, turn out that it's just somebody who's trying to be a person in the world, and they don't realize that it flutters away with whatever smear of ooze, grossness that's yeah, left on the pad. It's awful. I'm ashamed. Well, well, but I clearly am not so ashamed that I won't talk about it. I I'll hope. talk about it all day long. I it just, won't come off in your house. I'll hold it. I'll just hold the two ends of it. Like it's this. okay. Like I'm, it's almost like I'm holding a cigarette to my tracheotomy <laughs> hole. You could put two more band aids on each end, make an H out of it. That way, those band aids would hold the end of the band aid down. And that would be a good look. I your could. neck wound would be for her. That's right. Oh. I'll take a little marker and draw the H on top of it, so it turns into some sort of weird signal to certain people. Here's the thing, and it's going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, but I'm serious. You are such a like pretty clean, clean looking person. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not gonna sound like it's not gonna sound like blowing smoke i realize this this is not coming out at all how i want it but just go with it <laughs> that i feel like looking. even your band-aid wouldn't be that gross well i don't know i think once it separates from this <laughs> from all said, this the clean looking pretty said, lady <laughs> she said motioning to her bicycling clothes because i that was the other big goal was oh, i'm gonna ride my bike i'll ride my bike to allison's and that also didn't happen because of the, the iPhone thing. So everything feels as frazzled as it can be, where you sort of go, oh, okay, this is clearly all of the stuff is a byproduct. Somehow, even though I have nothing to do with the OSX update, somehow it feels 
par for the course. You know, somehow you're like, oh, of course, this would be the time that that would happen. It wouldn't happen, you know, when I'm on vacation and it doesn't really matter. Right, right. You know, when you did the podcast in 2012, you rode your bike to the studio. Did I? Mm Mm-hmm. That sounds like something I'd do. You you must bike a lot. Those were the days when my (laughs) phone wasn't crashing. Right, and and your neck was unwounded. Yeah. I, I, uh, well, once I, th- that would really would have distracted from the band-aid is the giant turtle helmet probably would have, <laughs> no one would have ever been aware of my band-aid if I'd ridden my, my bike here. But I do, I do try to ride. I don't usually ride in amongst the cars. It's scary. Um, it's scary, but I didn't know. I think it was, a, so again, it was sort of like, well, maybe I'll feel less stressed out if I sort of get, if I work some exercise into the process of my day, but. Nope. I wish I had that very healthy thought of like, I feel stressed. I got to move. Yeah. Because <laughs> I am it's more... Cultivated. Okay, it's really? cultivated. It took time. Because usually... I just want to sit still if I'm stressed. Well, I want to... And I want to eat. Yeah. So that's the opposite. So there is sort of a... It's like I have to get over the initial hump of, God, I would love to just eat a bunch of carbs and just sit with my feelings and just, you know, pat myself on the head emotionally. Um, but... I will feel better on the other side of getting some kind of adrenaline or endorphins mm-hmm. going. So then I sort of push through. But I use my initial anger at exercising <laughs> to fuel the first 15 minutes, you know, where instead of being like, oh, I'm just going to slow down because I don't feel like doing this. I'm like, I don't feel like doing this. And then I'm like, and then at a certain point, it starts to feel good being out there. And then so it's getting past that first. That's good. A little bit. Yeah. How did you learn this? Um, I think I realized I was getting really tense in LA, not because when I lived in San Francisco, I walked everywhere. And so you just get that built in. Mm. And I think that's true for a lot of New Yorkers as well who move here. And suddenly you just feel different and you do feel like a restlessness and you don't realize that you were kind of getting those endorphins and stuff just from like walking up and down steep hills. And so I did kind of start, like I started working with a trainer that my friend, I also had like... back problems i couldn't sound more like a sad (laughs) a sad sack at the time i had back problems and uh, i think that was probably stress related too because i just moved down here and so my friend uh said well i've been working out with this personal trainer and for sure i was like the san francisco person who was like personal trainer get a room i don't know what that means (laughs) um but he sort of helped me like get honestly sort of like comfortable in my body and like Mm. kind of get interested in exercising and then that transformed into and I love him and I still keep in touch with him but that sort of transformed into you know I really like being outside and I might as well take advantage of the city allowing for that you know and I live right by Griffith Park so I go up there all the time you have two big dogs Mm, do you walk your dogs often when you walk because just lately I've been thinking I should be walking more the walking I do is always with Wendy, my mm-hmm, dog. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, you know, I should give myself the option to just go on a walk without her yeah. someday because I, I could cover more ground yeah, yeah. and it would feel more like exercise as opposed to like just the sort of slower dog walk. Yeah, especially do you sort of let her guide it? Yes. Like you sort of let her stop and sniff everything. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, when I when I do those dog walks, I do feel like, well, I don't know. This wasn't really for me. Right. But because I live in the hills, there is a certain amount of like pretty much in any direction from my house you will end up going downhill which means you will have to come back uphill so there's some nice exercise forced into that right if i lived in the flats there's no saying so let's talk um about stan against evil 
which is the series on IFC that you are in. And I watched the as of as we record this, only the first episode has aired, right? Uh no, the first two. Okay, that's I've seen the first two. Um I love it. Oh great. Yeah, and I love you in it. And a uh, friend of the podcast and friend of the world, just like Busy Phillips, That's David right. Gould yes. created and did, he wrote it yeah, he's as well, right? Pretty. He has it's a part in it. Yeah. And yeah, it's his it's his brainchild. And um, I love him. I just am such a fan of his stand up. And uh, and obviously he wrote on The Simpsons for many years. And so I think there's definitely that like absurd sensibility in it. But um, he also, you know, he he's joked in press stuff that we've done since that he honestly feels like it has more heart to it than he necessarily thought it would uh-huh. and he credits the cast with that which I think is cool because we all loved each other and um it was such a pleasure kind of finding those rhythms with each other because our characters are also different from one another yeah I mean I think the thing that hooked me after the first episode was oh I I want to see what happens to these people mm, good good because I feel like that's I think that's, that's why what- I don't like shows after a while i am yes. like i find that i just you know i got no i was care. interested in the plot and then at some point that sort of wore away when i realized i didn't care what happened to anybody right you so find ha- that to be true too yes yeah. yes um yeah especially with interesting concept shows mm-hmm. like if uh, you have to also like the characters except daniel and i daniel who you went to high school with which i will did. we'll get to that in a bit i did i um, heard that came up at uh at uh, the la pod fest yes said sketch fest in case caught that because <laughs> yes. that's the only festival in my brain right now it did come up um we talk about Westworld. Do you watch Westworld? I do. I, I'm really into it. I am super into it. And I really it. like the characters. Yes. Um, I'm just looking to get rid of my gum if you want to know why I'm making all these noises. Oh, we could take a super quick break and get you a tissue if you yeah. want. I'll just keep it in my mouth. No, let's do it. I want you to be comfortable. I thought I had a little extra something. What a high maintenance guess I've turned out to be. Here's a post-it note. Thank you. <laughs> what a pleasure. <laughs> It was almost the same color as my gum, so that worked out. Perfect. Um, um, so do you and so Westworld? And does, yes. Does, does Daniel feel? Is he into it also, or is he feeling He's, the opposite? We're both super into it, and he is. He feels though that it's. He's surprised. He's so into it because he feels like it's more about the fascinating world than it is about the characters. Yeah, um, I, and I don't totally disagree with that. I think it it has the advantage of having people like Ed Harris in it and mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins in it because those are two actors I just want to see kind of do anything. Right. Um, and so you kind of, I feel like you buy into their complex past, even though you really don't know very much about them. And I think Evan Rachel Wood's doing a really good job too. There Me are, too. There are some characters where you are kind of more like, well. Yeah. But I do like the puzzle of it. Right. For sure. Like I glommed onto that right away. And something like Game of Thrones, where I just had such a problem of identifying who people were mm-hmm. for several seasons. And I don't think of myself as like that daffy. Although, again, everything I've said leading up to this point would suggest otherwise. No, it's I do Thrones, feel it. But I was like, oh, like another tree. bearded brunette, <laughs> cute boy who may or may not be magical. Yeah. You know? I stopped watching Game of Thrones. I couldn't you take did. it at a certain point. Did yeah. you, I, I take it you stuck with it? I stuck with it. I feel like there was a. I feel like there was a falling off. Like I'm going through the motions, like in any relationship, <laughs> where for a second you think you're out of love with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it got good again this last season. Okay, like really good. I don't think it was ever terrible, but I do feel like there was a. It wore on me where I was like, okay, I get it. You know, these. 
I don't know. But um, but then somehow I whipped back around. Hmm. And I and I mean, you don't sometimes you do wonder like, is it me or did it get better? Do other people feel this way? Or because most of the time, same with Walking Dead, which I did give up on pretty early on. I feel like I stopped watching during the third season or something. I've had people say both. Oh yeah, you stopped watching when it kind of went through a thing where right. it was not great, and then it got really great again. Or I just have people look at me like I'm stupid and crazy, and are like, "That's crazy! It's the this is the best show of all time. I can't believe there you were, there was ever an episode that would leave you wanting more." I lost interest in a few seasons of Pretty Little Liars. Never seen it, <laughs> but then I came back. It's really for children. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's not, but it's. But I'm not proud of the fact that. Well, no, I I I'm fine with the fact that I got into it. Um, I think it is geared towards a younger audience, although I know a fair amount of adults, yeah, who watch it. I think that's true. That I, yeah. I, I mean, you're not the only person I know who watches, and I'm feel sure of that. Um, so stand against evil, and I keep wanting to say stand versus evil. I know, I know it's okay. But stand against evil. How did you get involved? Uh, well, I I did know Dana before, and um. I just didn't think this was going to be a thing that was going to be out there. I didn't. I assumed that once we the, got the show got on the air, you know what? I didn't give it a thought one way or the other. But I was not expecting him. Whatever I thought, I was not expecting him to just tell everyone that he wrote the part for me. For some reason, I felt like that was breaking some sort of rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said that the first press thing that we did um, at the TCA's, the Television Critics Association, and um, and I I. Look at him like he revealed the secret that we were sleeping together. I was like so <laughs> taken aback. And then I just had to try to lean in and kind of own it. Um, but I, I mean, I had to audition for it. And when he told me that he was writing something and he told me what it was and he told me that he wanted me to be in it, I think I had the very healthy, normal reaction that anyone in Hollywood has, which is this will never work out mm-hmm. because most of the time it doesn't. And even people who are, you know, really famous and super successful, even still sometimes most they're projects just like, don't yeah, happen. Yeah. It either won't happen or it will happen. But for some reason, someone's like, I hate Brad Pitt. Sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somehow something. I mean, at a certain echelon, I'm sure you can do whatever you want. But I think there's there's so many people far more successful, far more famous than I w- will ever be, who still, it's like, oh, this was originally written for so-and-so, but the president of the network really wanted a blah, 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 so they ended up with so-and-so. And so I just immediately, and maybe that's part of the kind of PTSD of it, is that when he says something like that, in my mind, I think this could still all fall apart because that's the just PTSD so common. Like of this industry? Of, yeah, and of, of being told that he was writing it with me in mind and just immediately bracing myself for disappointment. Mm-hmm. Like the second I heard that, I was like, what a great compliment, coupled with my certainty that I will not ever be able to do this. <laughs> and so the fact that, and then, you know, he said, you, but, you know, you do need to audition for it. Um they're not going to just let you do it. Uh, then again, I was like, nope, not going to get it. This will all find a way to, even if they are rooting for me, somehow I'll shit the bed in the audition and I won't get it. And for whatever reason, it all worked out and we were, I was able to do it. And I'm still surprised. That audition was for IFC. Was it already yeah. with IFC at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you know Dana originally? Just through comedy, I guess, just through the comedy mm-hmm. world. I don't do stand up as you know, but I, um, because of Sketchfest and because of improv and like, you know, sort of all the things that end up kind of getting woven together and in, in, particularly in that kind of alternative comedy world. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. So what did you first think when you read it? 
Uh, I thought it was hilarious, and I was really excited that anyone I knew thought I was badass enough to <laughs> play a sheriff. Yeah, so tell us uh, in your words about your character, Evie Barrett. Uh, she is Or a, actually about, yeah. sorry, just yeah, sorry. about the show. I'm going to ask you a question, yeah. and then I'm going to interrupt you. Great, great. Because I feel like that is... Um, it's first of all, it's fun to listen to. Great hostwomanship. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tell us about the show and then about your character. <laughs> uh, okay. So Stand Against Evil is set in a small town um, called Willard's Mill in New Hampshire. And uh, it is one of those places that, you know, while a show like Stranger Things, which I bring up because that show premiered. Um, you know, all the episodes dropped while we were in the middle of shooting Dan- uh, Stand Against Evil. And we all kind of watched it and then would come back to set and be like, oh, it was so great. It's so good. And then we found out that they'd use some of the same locations, although they shot in the winter. So it's not necessarily you're not like but everything shoots in Georgia now. So mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a huge overlap with a bunch of stuff. But it also is set. I mean, it is set in the 80s and it is specifically set in the 80s. And there are no you know technologies that reach beyond that. Whereas Dana always wanted to set something in sort of a town that got stuck, which I know many of those being from Arizona. And I have a, a real fondness for those worlds where you're like, oh, you have a cell phone, but you're still driving this car. <laughs> and that's very much what this is. And and so his world is sort of stuck in the 70s. Um, and so my character comes from uh, comes from Boston, is recently divorced, has a young daughter, is was a cop in Boston and is now a sheriff in Willard's Mill and I think probably expected to have a, a more quiet life and kind of get a chance to pick up her, her the pieces and, and you know, move on. She's a pretty tough gal, but she finds out very quickly that not only is she up against a, a curse that um, causes all of the sheriffs of Willard's Mill to die while they're in office, um, perhaps more troubling, she has to partner up with this incredibly sexist asshole character who um whose you know views are so far in the past that you should want to smack him on the face but he also expresses them in a funny way so that's Stan that's John C McGinley's character which he just kills it at um and so the two of us have to work together to try and not die <laughs> um and that's pretty much it and but but there's a you know there's sort of a reason that the whole thing happens um, aforementioned curse, uh, but then the way that the curse expresses itself, if you will, is that um, there's kind of a different style of like there's a different demon. So there's a sort of like like the X Files, you would use the term monster of the week, mm-hmm. where you know you have these various things that may seem slightly unconnected, but then they all kind of have something to do with the main the main problem, the main bad guy. Do you feel like it should be called Evie against evil? Sometimes they would joke about that. Sometimes uh, a John C. McGinley is like the number one person who likes to say that um, <laughs> because it is sort of her moving things forward and he's sort of getting dragged along, you know, kicking and screaming um, or whatever the lazier version of kicking and screaming <laughs> is, grumbling, slouching and grumbling, yeah, groaning uh, and-, and groaning uh, and lots of complaining. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is sort of she definitely has to do a lot, but um but the other the other two characters too are so fun and funny. The daughter Denise, played by Deborah Baker Jr., is so funny, and Nate Mooney plays the the sheriff's deputy Leon Drinkwater, who somehow manages not be around for any of the really dangerous stuff. Um, it, it's it's great. They do a great job with some pretty out there characters. What was shooting it like? 
it was really hard uh, in that we didn't have much time to shoot and it's very... It's a lot of practical effects, so you have mm. lots of it's monsters lot of and goo, a lot of splattering. That that is something that Dana is very fond of <laughs> in terms of like looking back at older kind of monster stuff, and um and it was very hot because it was it was Georgia in the summer, so that part of it was really tough. Um, but it was just so. <laughs> It's hard not to still nerd out. It's hard not to. I mean, I was still so excited every time they had to do anything that was like, you know, special effects makeup to me. I was just avidly leaning into the mirror, kind of looking at it. And mm-hmm. they, the guys, the amazing um, guys who did all of our effects makeup thought I was so funny because they're so used to dealing with people who do that all the time, who can sort of fall asleep while prosthetics <laughs> are being put on or, you know, they're on their phones. And for the most part, I was just sort of like, you know, Oh my god, this is great because I just haven't done a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you like being on? Like, so how long were you in Georgia? Uh, two months. Okay, because I we know shot that eight episodes. You also shot dinner and a movie in Georgia, but that was flying back and forth. Right, it was flying back and forth, and it was always in a studio. And if we were on location, we were usually on location in a different city, so we wouldn't. A few times we shot in this in the mm-hmm. summer. I mean, I've shot outside for dinner movie. Definitely shot outside in the bitter cold in the winter. I think twice, and then in the summer. But yeah, it's it's very different. Like standing in front of a stove that mostly someone else is making food on and um, wearing like a tank top or whatever is <laughs> definitely different than like polyester high waisted pants that you're also running through the forest in 100% humidity. Had you have you done stuff before where you've been on location for a couple months? Yeah. Yes, I have. Um and I don't mind that. I, I was like going to ask do you yeah. like it. I feel like I adapt pretty fast. I feel like I adapt pretty fast. Like we, even just being in San Francisco, you know, I'll be up there for a month and while I used to live there, I just stay at a hotel room now and I will just I'll just bring up like my one plate and my one cup and my silverware. I was going to say like I'm in prison, but I there are a <laughs> lot of things that are different about being in prison. But I have my little, you know, and I rinse it in the bathroom sink. And I think I inherited that from my mom. I feel like she has always shown herself. She always showed herself to be very adaptive. But there is this sort of thing that settles into me that's like, well, this is my life now. Like this is it forever. Okay. I just have one. I just have this one plate. <laughs> but now I have this one tiny refrigerator that you can fit two things at a time. And, you know, when, and we had a really nice condo in Georgia. But I think I'm good at sort of going into that mode of like, mm-hmm. well, this is this is what you know, this is where I am. And this is what it is. Just the most important question. Why not just get a plate and a cup and stuff from room service or something? Or do you like your own? I like my own. <laughs> I like bringing little touches of home. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Um. Was it a real physical uh, Mm -hmm. shoot? Yeah, it was. It was really physical. I had a lot of... It was really fun. And I wanted to do as many of the stunts as I could. I mean, they would have to... We had a great uh, stunt double, and she's awesome, and I loved her. And I appreciate her patience with me because, by and large, everything that we were doing that was something of a stunt, I would be like, is this safe for me to do? I'd love to try. (laughs) Um, And so... (laughs) So there was some, there was definitely some stuff that I, that I did that they were like, are you sure? But I mean, I'm not, it's not like I'm Tom Cruise riding a motorcycle in a dangerous circumstance. It was just the difference of like, you know, tripping and falling, something I'm very good at in regular life. Like, I think I got this. Um, But I had, I have a lot of stuff happen to me. So I'm tied up. Even if you're not tied up to the point where you can't move, you still want it to look real. So you still have like 
rope super chafing your hands or being choked numerous times in the show where you control that for sure. But if I'm not paying attention and I bonk into something, I mean, I constantly was showing up to set with random bruises, just bruises everywhere. Everyone would be like, where did that? We would all try to figure out like, when, when could that have happened? <laughs> um, and, you know, it's also like if you're running through a forest, you can control as much as you can. But if there's just like a route that no one saw, you might trip. So that happened a couple of times too. So were there any stunts that you wanted to do that they wouldn't let you do? The only thing I could think of, which sounds like so minor, but we had a scene in Denise's bedroom where uh, Evie gets thrown into a closet by something. And um, and it's an open closet, you know, and it's a wide closet, like a two-door kind of flip them open closet but it is a tight space and it's hard and they and you sort of she needed to land in a very specific way and i was i was like let me i'll dive into the closet and they they said no this is you could completely break your neck if you did this slightly the wrong way so someone better than me did it interesting i was shooting something and i had to be in the bottom of, of an elevator shaft and they had turned the elevator off and they assured me even though it's off there's even if like there's all these safeguards <clears throat> excuse me in an elevator shaft so the elevator actually cannot drop all the way to the bottom and there's counterweights and there's everything yeah but i still asked like a thousand times yeah. are we sh- are we sure are yeah. we sure because i was like nothing is it's just not gonna be worth it if i don't make it out of this shaft yes um <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and yet, it seems like you were really champing at the bit to be doing all your stunts. Where does that come from? Well, first of all, I don't think I had anything like that where there was anything. That sounds like money we probably wouldn't have even had. Like an elevator chef. Well, Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> um, I think, I, I, honestly, I don't I don't know that anything could have gone that dramatically wrong. Um but I do think that it was very much this sort of like just buying into the excitement of, I mean, I just thought, I don't know when I'm going to get to do this stuff again. You know, I just don't know because again, I've done, I've been very lucky and I've had a, you know, what, what for me is a, it feels like a great career, which is kind of, I guess all that matters. But, um, most of the stuff that I've done has been like comedy you're the mom or you're the girlfriend or you're in if I'm very lucky which I was with stuff like burning love or 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 you're the worst they're still like great wonderful characters but it's just not an action show you know Mm -hmm. that's it's not an action show and this it turns out is it turns out if you're doing horror comedy the chances are it's also an action show and so I was, I really, you know, as much as my, I like to make fun of how terrible I look in my high-waisted brown polyester pants and how uncomfortable they were and how hard it is to wear a utility belt and brown polyester pants and then go into a really tiny portable bathroom where you sort of have to figure out how to hold up your pants and utility belt (laughs) so it doesn't all just fall to the dirty floor while simultaneously like somehow also taking your, I mean, it's it's there's nothing glamorous there's nothing glamorous like. <laughs> there's nothing glamorous about it but at the end of the day it's like well if you're doing all that then get excited about pulling the gun and get excited about you know commandeering a car and being able to like burn rubber on the you know street that's been closed off and stuff like that just because that feels like it becomes part of the experience like well then i want to be the action star let's do this i want to feel like you know and we had an amazing stunt coordinator and i think i also i i i'm 100 sure that he was the best in the business and he's I said I was like even if I weren't interested in stunt work 
you are so fascinating and the way you teach is so wonderful that I would like take a class from you because he's one of the, he's like when you're in school and you have one of those teachers that's so passionate about what they're teaching and they're so communicative about that, that you walk away going like, I want to be a chemist. And then <laughs> that semester ends and you're like, no, 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 I was drinking the Kool-Aid. I don't want that. But I love that teacher. That's what um, Bob Fisher was like. And, uh, and so I also very quickly just completely put myself in his hands. If he had been uh, not a great stunt coordinator, that would have been a real problem because I approached it with what could be considered naivete, which is just like, they got it. Everyone, I just trust them. They're mm-hmm. doing their jobs. Everyone's got it. And in this case, they did. But if I were in a situation where, you know, something pretty serious was happening and I, you know, I had to be like, but I mean, I had to like, you know, get drenched in fire retardant liquid so that someone could hold a torch right next to my head mm-hmm. and you sort of wonder like i hope my hair doesn't catch on fire oh that's but, interesting i never knew how yeah, they do that yeah yeah they you they, there's a bunch of laws that have to be followed and again when everyone is so uh immediately understanding and offers you the out every time that really helps because i've also been on things where people just assume that you're fine and they just you know I had to do something again with fire where like something has like a tree had to explode behind me and I felt like it was happening before I even really got the safety meeting. It was just one of those like, oh, oh, <laughs> um, and that's a very different feeling. But when someone's like, hey, if at any time, I mean, I don't care. Listen, I don't care if that torch is 30 feet away from you. If you don't feel right about it, say something. And so um, I think that again, that was very empowering. It felt like being given the, the the permission to be scared made me fearless, mm-hmm. you know? You have such a good attitude. Two questions about that. Uh-huh. One, are you in therapy? Is it real? <laughs> yeah. And two, because I talk to a ton of people who have this kind of a, a bitter attitude that they have to keep in check towards the industry. And I often relate to that because mm-hmm. I, I can definitely go down that dark path too. Sure. Um, do you deal with that or like what in general sort of, I guess there's three questions. Number one. Yes, I am in therapy. Okay. Number two. Uh, it, I mean, based on what you heard about me being super cynical about whether this would even work oh, out, right. I yeah. have that in spades. I definitely have both. I have, uh, I think I have enough. I must have enough of whatever's positive to sort of keep going and, I do think, well, I was saying about this shoot that, um, that I, I don't have kids, but I do from my female friends that have had kids. I think this is sort of a universally understood thing is particularly, you know, after you have one and then you think to yourself, like, I'll never go through that again. And then you find yourself going like, let's have another. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is something like that, that my brain just naturally does, which is for all of the things that were hard at the time about doing the shoot, um, those sort of disappear when I'm done and I just have this blissful wash of like, I know it was hard, but like we made a show you guys. (laughs) And I think ultimately that's true. You know, they're both true. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather, I think the thing that's kept me going through all the rejection and insecurity and stuff is that there's, there's enough of a chunk of me that's like, I would rather feel that way even beyond some of it's beyond me even telling like self-talk, you know, mm-hmm. some of it's beyond that. And then some of it I really have to like dig into and go, why am I feeling this way? Or does this do anyone any good? And, you know, is this really about this or is this about something else and all right. that kind of stuff too. 
Right. Was that all three questions? Well, no, there's a third. The third yeah, question is just where where does your darkness manifest? Because mm. oh, you seem like a very like sunny, well adjusted person. Um Thank you for sure. It's that so clean can't looking. Be true. I thank you so much. Even with this pussy yeah, band, even huh? with that. <laughs> um, uh, no, I don't know. I don't. It's funny. I always thought of myself as a as a, like a really cynical person, um, but I guess that's not true. Uh, I do feel like I have a lot of appreciation for others, and I have a lot of appreciation for. I mean, you know, I think. Okay, I hadn't thought about this, but until just now, but. Um, you know, when I was in high school and I sort of was going through the beginnings of like, you know, when you're a teenager and you sort of get a closer look at like what you're sensitive about. And, and for me, I really was super emotional and and kind of depressed and anxious and all the stuff that I'd sort of carried around with me from being a kid and being like that and trying to push through it becomes this thing that you kind of celebrate on some level and you are like for me I was sort of you know yeah I want to wear black every day and yeah I want to listen to Morrissey and yeah I want to do drugs and all that kind of stuff um but I think but but also my favorite movie is Harold and Maude so that that and that movie um it may not be a perfect movie but I think it's a really seminal movie for a lot of people like me which is to say you have those forces both of those forces inside you all the time and I think the I've never I, this is so funny thank you for this because I love when people well, say this on welcome. my podcast where I'm like I will take all the credit thank you do I have a degree in this no <laughs> it just um, comes natural what can yeah I, say? I think that the adolescent you know I don't think it's a coincidence that Harold is suicidal and or at least dramatically I want attention faking my suicide because I live in this kind of bougie world with a mother who doesn't care about me mm-hmm. um and that's how I express my angst that he's a teenager right and then you have Maude who's lived this wonderful full rich life but also had a terrible traumatic experience in a concentration camp and um but has like you know made peace with having this very joyful sort of and also knows like when I'm done I'm done um but there's a lot of joy in that uh movie and that's really what it's kind of about is that at the end of the day you know he loses his true love but he doesn't want to die he wants to live and kind of take what he got from her and move forward with his life and I think those are the forces that a lot of artistic people are battling with all the time and it's like how do you make them fall in love with each other like those two did you know how do you balance those things and um because I think if you're all if you're a sunny person all the time I don't know honestly I don't know what your I don't believe that life's like that right I don't know what your art would look like that sounds very pretentious but (laughs) I think there's there has to be that there has to be both, right? I think so. I mean, are doctor, the, would you are the two drives you're talking about um, darkness or you know, like the comedy tragedy drama? Okay, mask. <laughs> awful. You know, like yin and yang. Yeah, there's just no well, way to say it without sounding really stupid. But but I was wondering if if it's also this like the darkness, but then also the drive to push forward. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't want to be miserable. Like, I've definitely had, a, I've had, you know, shitty stuff happen to me, and uh, I have a lot of anxiety, and um, I don't want that to define me. And um, and so I really do look up to, uh, you know, I just watched the director's cut of Alien uh, a couple of days ago, and 
it's always just nice seeing a strong female character where you're like, she is just as terrified as everybody else, but mm-hmm. she just doesn't, it's like she doesn't know how to not be who she is anyway. And so she's just, she's just doing it through that terror. And that sort of takes you to the, those, I'm sure there's like a million bone mo about being, you know, that courage has nothing to do with being fearless. It's acting despite your fear. And that's sort of what I'm trying to push through. And I think for anybody who's had like, panic and anxiety in their lives uh and has felt crippled by that that's becomes the only solution because you're Mm. never going to be fearless so then it becomes like how do i get really comfortable with being uncomfortable is anxiety and fear something you deal with daily um i don't know if i would say daily i mean it's not like i'm afraid to leave my house but uh but i think that stuff creeps in in weird ways you know like I worry about my parents or I worry Mm -hmm. I mean we all have those kinds of worries I don't think I have I'm not like a hypochondriac to the degree where I don't function but I do feel like there are things that I do uh even though I get a little bit nervous about them just just because I would rather feel like I did them because I know what it feels like to go I don't want to I don't want to get on a plane Mm -hmm. you know when I was in my 20s I definitely went through a phase where I was like I'm I can't be on planes I have panic attacks and that was so limiting and frustrating that um, at a certain point, my I think everything in me just got tired of that. It was mm-hmm. just like, no, this is tiresome. And it's funny that something could exhaust you to the point of you getting rid of it. But that's just not a problem for me anymore. Was it a fear of flying or was it the tight quarters? It was the fear of panic, right? It's the nothing to fear but fear itself. Yeah. It, it, everything it, when you when you're a person who's gone through anxiety, um, everything well, or like a panic attack for example everything becomes about what if i have one in this instance mm. what if i have one here what if i have one there and so if you are living in fear of having one you won't do anything because you'll just worry that you're gonna have a panic attack so it's it's a wonderful self-feeding <laughs> problem right you know? what are some of the other things that you where you push through that that fear driving driving i was the same thing i was afraid like what if i just have a freak out while i'm driving and i just fly off a cliff <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't um, mean to laugh it's yeah no no but i mean like those are like nightmares that other people have mm. some sometimes when you have anxiety you worry about that during the day too um so i had to kind of push past that to like really become a great driver mm-hmm. um i think those are like i mean those things are the main things i used to worry that that would happen when I was, you know, shooting. And sometimes I still do. Sometimes I think like, what if I just lose it? What if I just freak out right now and this entire production is relying on me, you know, in the sense of we have, you know, we have a budget and these people get paid and if you can't do your job right now. So when you let that mounting pressure come up. But Has then, that ever happened? Uh, when I was at HuffPost Live, which was a live broadcast, and I had a pretty serious bike accident and um, my, like I happened to have this accident and then, like two weeks after that, my cat, who I'd had this, again, see whatever episode of my podcast where I, who, me and my guests just ball over my dead cat, but Aww. I'd had her for 16 years and I had never lost anyone that I saw every single day, mm-hmm. day in and day out like that. And I didn't know what to do with that grief. And I, I didn't know, like I, there's a, there, it's weird when you lose a pet because, um, unless you've been through that. I think the sort of general idea is like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. So our meeting at work tomorrow is at nine. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just not a it's not People a bereavement process yeah. like it would be for a family member. And I understand that. But at the same time, if I if my aunt had died, who's a human being whom I love dearly, I also don't see her every day. Mm-hmm. What would the shape and scope of my life look like? Not different. Other than that, I would miss that person that I, that I don't get to see very often. But when there's this drastic change, 
and you come home and everything looks the same, but there's something missing that meant a lot to you. You don't know what to do with that. It's such an uncomfortable feeling. It's this wiggly, awful, Mm -hmm. like, ah, what what, what do do I do? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so I was doing live, uh, live news coverage and stuff, which already was such a departure for me, such a huge stretch from like what I was normally doing. And it was like the year of, it was the year of Hurricane Sandy. It was the year of the school shootings. It was the year of the Batman in the theater, Colorado shootings. Oh, right. the, I mean, shit really went down that year. Like, I look back on that and think that year was sort of the beginning of everyone's always getting shot all the time is sort mm-hmm. of how I think of it. Um, so it was really – and the election. It was the election year. So it was very, very stressful. And um, and so when I was live at one point, I would have, like, a, a laptop, a little – earbug in my mm-hmm. ear with the producer talking to me um people in like a google hangout on there and sometimes also a guest on a couch and you're expected to manage all of- oh and comments coming in on your laptop from the live watchers and you're managing all of that that got to be too much and so i just there was a certain point and it only happened once but it was enough to put the fear of god in me like oh i can't do this right now i have to take a leave of absence because i was sitting there like doing it and all of a sudden I hear the producer in my ear goes um Janet you're breathing really hard into your mic and could you just not do that and I was like because I'm sure I was like like just calm <laughs> down calm down yeah it was bad yeah but they were really nice I mean they definitely understood they were like I think you came back to work too fast after like this crazy series of things has happened mm-hmm. but um but also life went on do you know what I mean like that's the other thing is sometimes if I'm on – like when I do live shows, sometimes I think like, oh, my God, what if I just can't remember what I'm supposed to say? Or like what if I just can't – what if I just have to run off the stage? Then the grown-up part of me is like, I don't know. I guess you run off the stage. And <laughs> at worst, everyone is cares about you and is worried about you. You're not like – you haven't set up a, an environment in which everyone around you is going to be like, I knew it. I hate her. You know? <laughs> Like, people are much more sympathetic than that. I was, and I would be sympathetic, you know? So why wouldn't anybody else? I was just <clears throat> talking with um, another guest who's... Your your episode will air before the other one. Um, but I was talking with Laura Keitlinger, and... She lives uh, almost next door to me. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was saying that my fear with live television, even though live television is, like, one of my favorite things to do, um, my fear is always somewhere in the back of my head is like, what if I just forget how to talk? What Mm -hmm. if I just completely stop talking? And it's really just a fear of losing my train of thought, Mm -hmm. but it's also like that. And then what if that balloons into a panic attack? Mm -hmm. And it's like, like that scene with Owen Wilson and Royal Tenenbaums, Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing. Oh yeah. I completely lose it. I'm always waiting. It could happen to me right here, right now, but what's going to happen? You're going to pause it. Yeah. I'm going to be like, I got to go. And you're going to go, okay, well we got a good almost hour or, we're not or you know but when I got dinner in a movie um that was the first like big recurring job I got and I had only been in LA for like six months and uh and I remember somehow came up so quickly with Paul Gilmartin who has this fantastic podcast uh called the mental illness happy hour somehow I made some you know again like sort of the cynical side of me I made some some joke some very dark joke about you know like well hopefully I don't have a panic attack and fly off the whatever 
And he was like, oh, you have panic attacks? And I was like, nah, you know, not so much anymore, but I'm always ready for him to come back, so maybe. <laughs> and he was like, ah, if you get one, we'll just talk about it and make fun of it on the show. Like, he just deflated it so quickly. So nothing like that had ever happened. But um, but again, it's that thing that – it the, the thing that you can best do to cultivate something like that is to give it, you know, over as much power as possible. And the right. more you're like – the more you're able to go like, you know what, Allison – that's just because I'm super smart and I, I, I'm maybe an overachiever. I want to do well. I want to please everyone that I respect and I don't want to mess up. And I also have the advantage of having a brain that's so complicated that I can be having these thoughts while I'm also talking about something else live on the air, thinking about the fact that I could stop talking at any – like what a gift that you have so many channels running at any given time in your brain that you could think about all of those things at the same time. I never looked at it that way. Thank you. Know, you. <laughs> like I'm a complicated lady. I really am. Lucky me. But that is like oftentimes having multiple channels. While I see what you're saying that it's it is a gift, I have to shut most of them down and just like let's all get onto the same. Yeah. Let's tune into the same Absolutely. channel right now. Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Okay. So selfish question. What Overall, what would you say your HuffPost live experience was? Because I auditioned for that and did not get it. So if it turns out that the whole thing was fairly like not worth it, that would be great for me to hear. First of all, I want to say <laughs> you would have been so great. Oh, geez. No, you really would have been so great. I'm shocked that they didn't offer you a hosting position. I'm shocked. Um, the perfect, perfect answer. Thank no, you very I much. Completely blown, <laughs> no, I truly am blown away because that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, it was really hard. Uh, it was really hard showing up every day and being there for like yeah, it's like a day job, hours. right? Yeah, I mean, there's an example. Like, I had my bike accident because I had no time to do anything other than stuff related to that job, mm-hmm. but so- still somehow had to do a bunch of other stuff, including I was still recording Legend of Course. So they had to give me a bunch of outs, but then it, then I also felt like, well, I agreed to do this, so I should make this up in some other way. It's right. that thing where. Still, someone gives you something and you can't take the concession. You still have to like prove that, like, right. But still, I'm just as good. You know, I mean, you know. Um, so I would ride my bike to work every day and ride home. And, you know, I would, that would mean like getting on my bike at eight in the morning and getting home at eight thirty nine at night. Those are long uh, days. Long days, riding in the dark. Um, and, uh, and they, it was, it was really interesting. I, I don't think if everything had happened, differently I still wouldn't have been able to do it because it was just too much with Sketchfest and they were they had given me part of the contract also included like then you have this whole you know six weeks off but even just leading up to the beginning of the six weeks off I I was you know a mess trying to get all that stuff done I think there are things about it that you would have really liked I think you probably would have walked away with the same experience I did which is I feel like I am glad I know I could do that um uh but you could have done it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you didn't have to do it to know you could do it. Let me just be the one to tell you for both of us. Mm-hmm. You could have done it. You would have been great. <laughs> oh, so don't you. ever worry or wonder. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was real. It was like, um, I, I remember saying to my therapist at the time, I feel like I just put someone else's life on. And I think maybe when you're an actor, that's appealing in the beginning because you're like, oh my God, I'm going to act like I'm a journalist (laughs) and I took it very seriously and I am very curious and interested and I loved um I did come home feeling privileged to have had some of the conversations that I had or learned some of the stuff that I learned but I also um am not I was never anyone who could handle reading the news a lot and that was the thing I found out really fast and you're very sensitive too and I think 
you would have had the same problem I did where after, you know, um, Sandy Hook happened, for example, at the end of the day, it's still an organization that is interested in making sure people are looking at it instead of other things. Right. So it was all like, what can we, what's, who can we talk to? What's related to this? Let's talk about gun violence. Let's talk. And it's all important stuff to talk about. But, um, when you're somebody who's like, I have to turn the news off after the first five minutes because I'm upset, then imagine living in that 24 seven. Right. Right. It's, it's like you almost have to get hardened. And I suspect yeah. it's hard for you Couldn't to be hardened. Yeah. I never could. I never could. Yeah. I remember when they read off the names of all the kids oh, who geez. died. They just read it and went on forever and ever. I was just like my fellow, you know, people who were journalists who had been trained, who had worked for like Good Morning America or, you know, NBC Nightly News. They were just sitting and there were a lot of young people there. So I'm not saying people weren't impacted by it, but, you know, they were just sort of sitting and like shaking their heads. And I was like in a corner sobbing. I couldn't breathe. I was shaking. I was like, I can't. I'm not this person. And they and they knew they didn't hire that person. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very clear about that. I was like, I'm very emotional. I'm not going to be I'm if I'm hosting something and it's a conversation and I'm moved by it. I don't think I'll be able to just like tamp that down. And they were like, it's fine. We want a, per- a human yeah. person. It's fine. And that was great. But it didn't. They were great on the on, on the them facing side. It was all great. And they were wonderful and were and understanding and warm people. Um, but on the backside of it, for me, all of that being said, I still it was still way too much. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been for you, too. How long did you, you and I would have just been holding hands, <laughs> rocking, crying in front. Of we would have had each other, though. We would have had each other. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you end up doing it? It was only like seven months. I mean, I... It's a long time, it was, Yeah. I mean, it was a while. I I launched it, and that was kind of the most fun part. The most fun part is the beginning of something when something can be anything. When there's the sort of like, guys, what do we want to do? This has never been done before. So what do we want it to be? It could be anything. And so we spent so much time, like, you know, getting really specific about, you know, They'd always say like, it's the thing about the thing. It's like, it's like for me, I transfer kind of transferred that from improv, like go to from A to C. Don't just go A to B. It's like, well, if the story, if if the thing everyone's talking about is this, our job is that'll be on the front page of the HuffPost. So we don't have to do that. We can do the thing that makes you think about that, that then makes you think about this. I don't know what that is. I'm trying to think (laughs) of any good example, but um, it was cool because it would be like, it would, or if it was like, hey, here's this story about this guy who, you know, or this girl who was slut shamed for dating too many people. Um, we would turn that into just the sort of inspiration of that would turn into what is casual sex life for retired people? Like mm-hmm. it would just be the sort of jump from what about a woman who's in her sixties who has sex with a lot of people. And so then we would have that conversation and that was very exciting to me. And then when the network got up and going, and it was half and it was more actually more than half in New York. And then we would pick up the last four hours of the day live um, very quickly. It And and all due respect, because I get it and I know it's tough, but it became like, what are people going to click on? Right. What's, you know. Right. What 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 can we get out of this? That there's something I don't want to say sensationalist, but I, I definitely started to feel like the stuff I was interested in didn't qualify as that, mm-hmm. you know, oh, that's because a lot of the time would oprah show like that's the kind of stuff i was interested in all these human interest stories and that's not the stuff that everyone's like talking about the water cooler they're talking about tmz or you know whatever like crazy violent thing happened in the news it's not as likely that people are gonna be like you have got to see this woman talking about her son like that's just like (laughs) and how much she loves him you know what i mean that's where it becomes like that's nice for those people who have time to feel those feelings right no that totally makes sense yeah um 
Let's take some questions that listeners sent in on Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Jay Ellis says, can you ask about how she got involved with Burning Love? I adored her character. Uh, yes, I can. And uh, and thank you very much, um, Jay Ellis. I uh, I love doing that show. I was asked to do it by Ken Marino and Mike Rosenstein and Jonathan Stern, who uh, the two latter produced it. Um, and uh, we just shot it as like a like a sizzle you know like that thing again it's another one of those projects where i've done so many that i also believed in and thought were great that you know you shoot a thing for free with your buddies and you hope that the right eyes see it and you hope that someone wants to make it and then you get to make it but most of the time that doesn't happen and so you just have to go well it was a really fun day working with people that i like and that's it you know i'll probably never even see whatever it is that they cut together but uh but that one you know so we got together um i think it was at peter principato's house one summer day and just improvised a bunch of stuff they asked me if i would be in it and i was sort of asking about what the different girls personalities were like and at the time they said like oh carly's like kind of the sporty one and i said well was what if she were gay and ken was like great (laughs) <laughs> and so that's that's what I improvised that day, and that's what they ended up writing the show. That character, anyway, was was kind of based on that day. And um, those those people that I worked with are so incredibly inspiring. And that's a real case of Erica wrote amazing amazing lines and amazing story arcs. So I don't want to discount when you do a partially improvised show the temptation I think for people is to be like oh great so it was just totally improvised (laughs) and that's not true because she's a brilliant brilliant writer and she would be coming up with alts like she's she's as much of an improviser as anyone else because she would write great stuff and then she would let us completely play and then us playing would inspire something new from her so she was participating as an improviser and writer the whole time too but a lot of it would come up kind of on the spot from us and from her and so that's an example of like you always want to be playing with people you think are better than you because you'll rise to the occasion. And that's how I felt every day that I was on that set was the biggest challenge was I hope I don't laugh and ruin someone's take because I know that I'm going to want to. <laughs> and I and just to sort of, you know, be as good as as everybody else there. TSDCX says, saw her at the LA Podcast Festival. Has she always had the loveliest singing voice in the world, or is that new? Oh, for crying out loud. TSDCX. <laughs> um, uh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you. I do like to sing. I don't really do it. Um, that's one of the things that's fun about the Thrilling Adventure Hour and the Work Juice stuff that that followed, um, which was a really great gang of people and a podcast in and of itself, um, is they like to do kind of music stuff. But... Um, I mean that's very sweet. I was that was felt very self indulgent. I don't usually <laughs> do that, and something about being with those three people that I had on the show that day made me just feel wild and dangerous. <laughs> and so I sang. Uh, so snow, sustoked, sustokes, sustokes. I am stoked is her uh-huh. name, and then it's at sustokes. Do you watch Vanderpump Rules? No. Oh my God, you're missing out. If if you enjoy terrible reality shows. I feel like you probably don't. Don't I don't what the only reality shows I watch are like competition shows. But okay. I do. I'm not like above like for a long time I thought I was above things like The Amazing Race and Survivor and now I love them. Hmm. Like I love Survivor. Um 
I don't know what happened there, but now I just love it. Uh, so no, I don't. What's what happens in Vanderpump? Rules? Oh well, it's a spinoff of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yeah. See, I've never seen one of the even that. I've never even seen a Bachelor or a Bachelorette show. Really? Which was what? And yeah, I know spoofed. that's so know. funny. Um, well, but not because I think I'm above them. It's just not it's, something that I've, I'm sure I would get sucked in just like everybody. Yeah. It, you would get sucked into Vanderpump rules. It's like a lot of very attractive tan people who are bartenders getting in fights with each other. Great. At the beginning, I was like, I don't understand. First of all, I can't tell these women apart and I don't understand why I should care. And then all of a sudden I was obsessed. And then, <laughs> and Daniel it. got obsessed too. In the yeah. beginning, he was like griping all the time about how I was watching it. And then he got super into it. Yeah. Um, okay. That's hands- always a good measure when your partner is <laughs> right. also like snobs out and then gets into it too with you. He might be more into it than I am now. Yeah. Hansi Copperfield. Do people often make mention of her most unique and hilarious laugh? She brings so much joy to spontaneous nation. Thank you so much. I already forgot what your handle is. That's a problem with handles is that. I don't. Handy Copperfield. Handy, handy, handy Copperfield. Handy Copperfield. First of all, are you coming on to me, Handy Copperfield? <laughs> um, or is that like a weird David Copperfield reference? It's like high meets low. Um, yes, uh, that was a, a thing that's only happened in the last couple of years. I was always super embarrassed of my laugh. Um, I like being around people like Jimmy Pardo who also have explosive laughs because it makes me feel more normal. Um, but I grew up with a dad who. Uh, people would either like turn and look at him with dismay when he laughed or like people would ask him to come to their plays and comedy shows because he had such a great <laughs> laugh. It would like get other people laughing. So I'm not surprised that I ended up with a laugh I have, but um, but it's really nice that people are nice about it. Once in a while, someone will be mean about it. And uh, so I'll, I'll take as many nice ones to compensate for that as I can. <laughs> Nick D'Angelo says, have Nick. you considered legally changing your name to little Janet Barney? <laughs> uh, yes, I think I answered that one because I saw it right as I was I was live tweeting the Stan thing when you were getting questions for right. me. So I was trying not to look like there were Christmas presents under the tree. Um, but uh, but yeah, that was a nickname that Paul, I'm, he's told this story on Spontaneous Nation, but he just said it one day. We were doing an improv show in New York, I believe. And for some reason, he just added little to it as I was running up. And it's it, we all thought it was so funny that it stuck. And uh, that's one of my greatest joys in life is that Paul F. Tompkins gave me a nickname. Those, that, those are those moments where you're like, I've made it. Paul F. Tompkins gave me a nickname. My, my I've made it's are maybe less about money <laughs> now that i think about it and good goals and to stuff. have paul one one three eight says oh, paul one one three eight you know it's good old yeah, the best best of all the other thousand and thirty seven pauls being from tucson like daniel quants does she also have fond memories of eating saladitos also she has the best laugh ever uh paulie thank you so much um i feel like i know ye uh and some people might know this. I can't remember how much I talked about it with you on the last podcast that I had a crush on his best friend. Like you talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yes, uh, I will tire anyone out by talking about eating Mexican candy. I'll talk about it all day long. I'll talk about making cascarones. I'll talk about celebrating Las Posadas instead of Christmas. Um, I will really be obnoxious because my elementary schools were all in like the Barrio area of Tucson and um, it's the only claim to any sort of like interesting cultural heritage that I have and it's appropriated, but like otherwise I'm just like a boring white girl. (laughs) Um, uh, Isaac 
TH says, Isaac TH, <laughs> what is the most challenging thing about voice acting? Um, oh. You know, the most challenging thing about it is when you don't get to act with other actors, I think is probably the case for me. That may not be true for everybody, but it's always better when you can have um, the person who's playing the character opposite you. That said, the, the voice director for Legend of Korra was Andrea Romano, and she's a wonderful actor. So she actually gives you everything you would need. But I've definitely done stuff where, you know, bless their hearts, whoever it is that's reading with you is sort of a little bit not acting. And so you're just hearing words and it's nicer when you can engage with other people, I think. Um, oh, Nick would like to know, what does Dana Gould smell like? Nick, Dana smells like expensive Planet of the Apes memorabilia <laughs> that he keeps in a storage unit. Um, Marty Stewart, she's my exact age to the day and my height as well. Marty, so why happy really earthy early birthday <laughs> and my exact height? Okay. So why, or better yet, how does she look so young? Oh, that's so nice. Um, probably because my parents instilled a uh, deathly fear of the sun in me, being from Tucson, Arizona. Maybe Daniel has the same experience. He's actually had to have opposite? skin cancers. Yeah, removed? he's had yeah. to have stuff removed. Both so my parents have gone through yes. some pretty rough stuff when it comes to that. So they always instilled that in me. So even now, I'm I'm really uber careful about that. The other stuff is like it's like stuff no one else does but like i don't smoke i don't really drink but that's not because i don't like drinking it's just something i can't really do much of Mm. there was another question in here there were a few questions which now i'm not finding about the end of cora Mm -hmm. um how did I feel about the end yeah. of, of Cora? Yeah, yeah because Cora ends up with a girl. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Cora, yeah. So Cora, for those Cora fans out there, um, the, you probably, I mean, most of you who know this have probably heard me say this uh, before, but but um, I was really excited about it. I think it's great. Um, uh, there is, the, it, it was a tremendous honor to be a part of that show anyway. And then to have Mike and Brian do something that is kind of subversive, weirdly, and I'm excited for a time when it's not subversive because all it is is like two people loving each other, but because it's rare and because we're not quite there yet when it comes to same-sex relationships, uh, even though we've made obviously tremendous headway, um, it was a big deal that my character uh, didn't start as uh, gay or didn't start as bi necessarily. It was undefined. She definitely had a boyfriend for a second. And then she ended up with uh, the other kind of main female character on the show, and they are in love. And uh, and I thought it was wonderful. Wonderful. What was her, the reaction like from the audience? I think in general it was really positive. In general it was really, really positive. It's the That's the best fan I say they call it a fandom that always seems like less inclusive where I feel like it's more of a community, but um, they're just the best. They're so sweet and wonderful. And they, it's such a great show. If it were not a great show, I don't know who would attract, but it attracts like these sensitive, artistic, respectful, lovely people. That's great. Yeah. Um, And usually socially uh, um, progressive, mm -hmm. which is also great because then I don't get in an argument with anybody about it, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, 
Let's do just mirror everyone. But first, a few little quick announcements. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Holidays are coming oh, I didn't up. know that. Why don't I do that? I shop on Amazon every you day. You should do that. Click through alisonrosen.com. Do it. That's right. Do, your, do all your holiday shopping that way. Um, and also another way to support the show is uh, – to go to my Patreon page. Are you on Patreon? Mm-mm. Do you know about it? I don't do any. I'm you don't terrible. Do any of that. It's like I really should. It's like Kickstarter, but it's not for a specific project. It's more you can support artists on an ongoing basis. Um, a lot of podcasters are on there. It's That's really. Great. It took me. People were telling me to get on there. Um, and it took me a really long time to do it because yeah. I had all these like I was hesitant and I don't know and I had all this like I don't want to do it wrong somehow. And right. then now that I've I've been on there for a few months. It's so much fun. Like you set different reward levels. So if you give this month a much a month, you get this or this. And like some of my rewards are a bonus episode a month, um, behind the scenes videos, like exclusive live stream, that kind of stuff. It's great. And then there's an, an activity feed, like a comment thing that um, they have access to where you can interact with them. And it's really it's like a podcast is already a community and then it's like even more of an intense community. Yeah. I'm loving it. I'm having oh, so much great. fun. No, that so, sounds like it could be right up my alley. Yeah. Check it out. Um, listeners, you can go to my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen and also subscribe iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me? Lane says, when I use a podcaster's Amazon banner, oh, speaking of, I wonder (laughs) if they are going to see my purchases and judge my life. Hashtag condoms, cat toys, drying rack. (laughs) Um, No, the truth is we can see a list of all the purchases made through our banner, but we don't know who bought what. And I never, ever look at it anyway. That's a good, that's a, that's a good question to ask. Yeah. I I bet that, yeah, I'm sure that crosses everyone's mind. That totally makes sense. Probably been like two and a half years since I've looked. Yeah. Which is interesting because people, I actually, people have actually, there's one person who's like, I, did you get credit for these items? And I've been meaning to look. So if you're listening now, I, I will find that email and I will look. And Chris, um, is it Chris? Thank you for practicing safe, safe sex. Chris, yeah. And for taking such good care of your It's Lane. Cats, but maybe the person Lane, that Lane, Lane is practicing safe sex with is Chris. Could be anybody. Anyone. Ed Could Morris. be a lot of people. Just mirror everyone. Like Daniel's conditioner, I only wash use washcloths when staying at a hotel. So I've been married to him for years now, and I it only Jeff was here. It just recently came out. I Daniel was, was does shocked. not. Con- I was he shocked. Condition his hair. He doesn't condition every time. First of all, he doesn't wash his hair every time he's in the shower, which is okay. I get that. Yeah, but I just didn't realize. And he seldom conditions. The times he'll condition are when he's on vacation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was the other time he said? I feel like there was another time, but I can't even remember. That's how seldom it is. I only remember vacation because he said he likes to use all the product in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just try uh, it all out. Yeah. So anyway, this Ed only uses washcloths when staying at a hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I usually, I don't, this has come up on the show before. I don't use washcloths in the shower. I don't either. I just use my hands. 
Yeah. I don't even, I never use washcloth. Yeah. In fact, I had to root for one the other day because I felt like maybe there was an easier way for me to, I did like a clay mask. Mm-hmm. I got real excited about it because um, I'm still that trial that's like, look, this is like what lady, ladies do. <laughs> right. Uh, but then I was like, ugh, it's such a pain to just keep rinsing and rinsing. I was like, oh, right. wait a minute, do I have a washcloth somewhere? Could I daub and like scrub some of this off? Could did I get it- some help from mama washcloth? Did it work? Yeah. I don't think I've ever used a mask. Maybe when I was a kid. It's really fun. Yeah. But I, I want to I never get facials. One. I never. I've never had a yeah, facial. I don't do anything like that. I don't like sitting still for yeah. one thing. But yeah, it's it's a fun, it's sort of a fun feeling, especially if it smells good because then it's sort of. Right. Because then right after you wash your face, your skin just feels so tight and like you just feel, you feel like a commercial. You're like, God, I'm crisp. <laughs> I'm such a crisp, clean person. Then you look down, you see your gauze, gauze or Band-Aid. And then On your you realize, neck. yeah, that you're not. If only, if only, you know what? We need this whole situation, the Janet situation to go viral. Mm-hmm. So then for, ho- and, but still be like in everyone's consciousness for Halloween. Cause then I can go as you, which is a, a clay mask yeah, and, and a, a band-aid, band-aid on my neck. First of all, your clay mask and band-aid sales on Amazon are going <laughs> to skyrocket. I know. Skyrocket. <laughs> uh, Ray Morgan. Think the word hurrah sounds like vomit on a monopia. I never thought of that, but I guess you're right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's like a real celebratory puke. Like, hurrah! But I guess it kind of <laughs> does sound... Yeah, it does. It's a little it bit. It absolutely does. Demian Cordova says, it drives my... Excuse me. It drives me nuts when my wife calls my female dog he or him. Mm. Yeah, I'm very specific with Wendy's gender. Um, if it's strangers, I'm okay with that. But my mom will occasionally call Wendy, refer to Wendy as he. And that really... Grind my gears. <laughs> I think Wendy's a very girly looking dog. I I would assume her name is girly. She yeah. looks yeah. girly. I would assume just she's to a get girl. gender specific. It's but. very strange with Wendy. Most people assume, or a lot of people assume, Wendy's a boy. And yeah. Oliver, who was a boy but who was very little, was oh, people always thought he was a girl. Yeah, people flip my dogs. They assume Scott when they don't know their names. They assume yeah. Scott's a girl, and they assume Whitley's a boy. Messed but up. also, like, then I'm going to get into, like, that super PC world of, like, guys, it doesn't matter. I mean, come on. But also, I, I do. But, like, look, we're products of our environment. I do get – when something's been already established and it's, like, set in stone and that's how you think of something and then someone sort of casually changes it on you and, like, it feels like – disrespectful like are you not going to take the time but i feel I like i have a lot right. of friends i have a lot of people i think there are people who for whatever reason think of all cats as blank and all dogs right. as blank right and it's somewhere fixed in their head from childhood and it varies like some people think i i would be more the type to assume all cats were girls except i love cats which you know can always tell <laughs> um and then some people always think of dogs as boys or some maybe they think of dogs as girls but it's very interesting we could do our master's thesis on this I would like to. Um, no, you're right, would though. You, though. Really? Well, not so much, but it just sounds like a lot of work. Good host. Just uh, <laughs> um, I guess really when it comes down to it, really, what difference does it make? No. That dog the or thing. cat doesn't care. I really lean into it like where, I, where I'm acting like I'm the bigger person where I'm like, well, she yeah. is seven years old. Like, why am I? Right. Do you ever have this... this quote unquote deep thought sometimes i'll look at wendy and i'll think wendy's female and i'll think what does that even mean like in what way does her 
being a hey, that's woman exactly what I'm dog that's like kind of what i'm saying especially about she doesn't pets. know also like they're all spayed and neutered so yes. it really is like right. becomes very gender neutral very quickly right i think that's exactly what i think that's where we were going this whole time with this conversation yes. we didn't even realize it yeah yeah it's it is weird and to also think they're of. animals like right. how crazy is that that's the one i go to all the time where i'll just see them sitting in front of the television and be like i don't know you <laughs> Like, I've lived with you for years, and you are a creature that is a different species. Right. I have no idea what's going on in your mind, but we're, we're everybody's peaceful about it. We're all just coexisting. We don't need you. I don't need you to pull, like, a sled. I don't need you to help me with my plow. Mm. I don't need you to protect me, really. We're just snuggling. We're just snuggling. And eating. That's where we are with this. Yeah. Yeah. I That, that occurs to me occasionally, like, this relationship is so one-sided in terms of the communication. Like, she's never spoken to me. (laughs) (laughs) I've said so much to her. And I feel like she gets it, but I don't think she, but she might not. Yeah. Um, Sometimes romantic relationships can feel like that too. There you go. Okay, flash dabbles. Nude colored leggings should be banned. Constantly do a triple take, driving past people who look naked from the waist down. I have... I have had this experience, not frequently, but where I've been like, what? Oh. Yeah. I guess I just haven't seen that many nude leggings. But I could see how it would be very alarming. Are you in favor of banning them? <laughs> I guess I'm not. <laughs> Best Friends fan cast. While waiting in the drive-thru, I plan escape maneuvers just in case shit goes down. It's I can, smart. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, if I'm ever in traffic and I'm stuck under a overpass or like in a tunnel or something i don't think no in a tunnel i actually do my escape maneuvers involve like just ditching the car and running yeah yeah um that can that can make me nervous yeah understood lisa loves jmos i have to sleep with my face away from the pillowcase opening that is such a good one i feel like that's That's what jmo was invented for (laughs) um no, I I'm very particular with like if the pillowcase has a seam and the pillow itself has a seam and they're bunching up and I can feel them on my my neck or my um like shoulders, then I get very uncomfortable, but I don't have specific things about the pillowcase opening. I don't have specific things about the pillowcase opening, but I'll tell you what I just bought is some wonderful little soft sheets that because of the um <laughs> hyperallergenic pillowcases that are underneath because I'm allergic to dust. Listen, guys, I have a full, rich life. I'm outside <laughs> in that dust and grass every day on my bike or hiking or playing tennis. This is what I'm talking about, about fighting through all of your fears and all the things that are wrong with you. I think almost everyone should sleep with these pillowcases. Are they helping me? Probably not. I probably let a bunch of dust collect on top of them so it <laughs> right. doesn't do anyone any favors. But like I tell myself, that's the adult thing to do. Anyway, they're kind of slippery and these new pillowcases are slippery. So like every morning now I'm waking up with the pillowcase like far away and a different side of the bed. They just slither off in oh, the middle no. of the night. So I'm try I am dealing with the like I'm gonna have to like make some button closures or velcro these right. mofos. You've got runaway pillowcase. I do. You have run- runaway pillowcase I'm syndrome. Get <laughs> Ray Morgan. The more important the handshake, the more my palm sweats. I am lucky and I don't think I get palm sweat very often. I will get the sweat stash, which is the upper lip sweat, which is a really terrible place to sweat. Yeah. I get I'm I'm told that I don't sweat 
visibly, which is why my makeup holds up well, so it's good for my career. Yeah. However, it causes me to overheat, and then oh. I get really dizzy, so it's not as great as it seems. And I'm more of the, like, I wear a lot of sports bras because I'm such a jock, <laughs> and so I have a lot of, like, boob sweat and, right. like, back sweat, and that also feels not good. Yeah. Um. But hey, at least it's not coming out on your face, apparently. You're I'll so take lucky. it. J-Mo's for A-Rose also says, and this is the last one, don't enjoy my extra hour of sleep when we fall back nearly as much as I hate losing an hour when we spring forward. It's tough. Also, yeah. there is no point. No reason. I did a, let's just bring this full circle, a long piece about it on HuffPost Live about how we should get rid of daylight savings. It just doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Like, no one, far, farms right. don't benefit from it anymore. Like, there's no... It's something that everyone would love to get rid of from my experience and my research as a journalist, but no one, everyone's too lazy to take it on as their pet project because it's not that important. So right. it's this thing that everyone grumbles about, that everyone acknowledges is pointless, that no one is interested in like introducing legislature to change. But it's, that's it's tough. why it persists. I know. Although I was, and why, by the time people hear this. It will have already happened. But I, on the calendar, saw like daylight savings time ends, and I'm like, oh, no. And then I thought, well, wait, we actually gain an hour. That's okay. I'm okay with that. We're well, see, falling back. My problem – wait, yeah. I, by the way, I'm from Arizona, and we don't have daylight savings time. That's the one state that, for whatever reason, got it right, probably because there was nothing can grow there, <laughs> But um, except maybe some nuts. Uh, but I don't – I still can't get it. Like mm -hmm. I've been in California longer than I lived in Arizona and I still can't get it. And um, I hate that it gets dark earlier. Okay. That's what I really hate. I well, would be fine it's losing be a tough an hour. Set of months for you. Yeah. yeah. But I always hate it. I hate because especially it's like I like going out before the sun goes down. Right. Because I don't like being in the sun. All of these things all connect. I'm very holistic. How dull. Uh, but <laughs> I and so it's like, oh, when am I going to get the, my, the bike ride in? Oh, while the business stay is still occurring because now it's dark at like five. Right. Not good. No. Janet Varney, it was so much fun having you on the Thanks show. Thank you. Thank you. Um, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Jeff, where should we go for you? I'm tearing it up on Facebook and Twitter at Colonel Jeff Fox. And Janet, let them know where to find you and what they should look out for and when they can watch what and all that stuff. Okay. Uh, I'm at Janet Varney. I, my podcast is uh, anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, it's the JV club. It is uh, a show about your teenage years. Um, Allison's done it. It's, it's a wonderful episode. People love it. And, uh, and I stand against evil is on IFC. It airs at 10 eastern time uh on ifc if you don't have ifc i'm sure it'll go to netflix fast because i feel like they do a tremendous amount of business on netflix with like portlandia and documentary now and stuff and um yeah and just uh you know like it and support it on the social medias because i think that's a a big way that ifc sort of knows that people are paying attention and that doesn't cost you a dang thing thank you so much thank you i had a great time we really went deep i'm not surprised listeners thank you for listening i love you goodbye Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. 